All right, are you ready for the word? Amen. I'm going to take that by faith. (laughs) I'm going to keep picking on you until you get with me today. God has given us some powerful resources in our words. Amen? Our words are powerful. I I was thinking about moving into this Sunday and and maybe you, you missed the other three weeks of the series and and you didn't need to hear him because you went and sat around the table this week with family and, and you were reminded how powerful words are. And maybe you said some things or heard some things that you wish hadn't been said. And how many of you, we know that our words are powerful and once they're out there, they are out there. You can't take them back. But I want you to see that our words are resources. They're resources that God has given us. The power of speech is a gift from God. And, and it shouldn't surprise us that our words are powerful because we were made in His image. How many of you know that the Bible says that God spoke the world into existence? It's words that are right now sustaining the stars in their place. Words. The Word of God that spoke and it was. Let there be light and there was light. Aren't you thankful that God's word still stands? God has made us in his image and so our words are powerful. We can speak things, the Bible says, that are not as though they were. And and that's what uh, Ron spoke about last week. Words of faith. Words that just stand on the certainty of absolute truth. How many of you understand that the truth of God is greater than the facts of life? A lot of times we base our confession on the facts. Well, the facts are, I don't have enough money. But the truth is, God said, I can open up the windows of heaven and bless you abundantly. The facts are, I'm sick. But the truth says, I am the healed of the Lord. How many of you know that the truth is greater than facts? Amen. You're warming up with me. I'm not getting to my message till you start saying amen to Ron's. That's how this is working. I'm going to preach his message and then when you're ready, I'll get to mine. The truth is, a person that's been dead and in the grave for four days doesn't get back up. But how many of you know what the truth of God's Word says? Lazarus came up out of the grave. Amen? Amen. 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 The facts are, you were dead in your sin and you deserve punishment. But the truth says, you are the righteousness of Christ. That we are joint heirs with Jesus. That we are seated in heavenly places. We have a powerful truth today. In the word of God. And when we speak the word, it's life-giving. The Bible says your words are life-giving because you were made in his image and because his spirit dwells on the inside of you. The Bible says there is the power of life and death in your tongue, in your words. You can speak life, you can speak blessing, you can speak hope, you can speak healing, or you can speak cursing. You can rebuke, you can condemn. You can criticize, demoralize. It's in your mouth. It's up to you. We have the power to speak life. Pastor Chris talked about the the powerful words of reconciliation. Two of the most powerful words that you could ever say or ever hear are those words, I forgive. I forgive. Those words changed your life. Jesus said those words about you. They changed my life. Those words motivated me to get up, get dressed, and come to church this morning. 
If Jesus hadn't forgiven me, I promise you I wouldn't be doing this. Amen? I mean, if it was a, if it was a works-based thing, if I had to, to measure up, to, to make it up, I just, I'd give up. That was pretty good. I just made that up. If I had to measure up to make it up, I'd give up. Somebody write it down before I forget. The truth is, I forgive changed my life. It changed your life. Words of reconciliation, words of hope that can be spoken over us have the absolute power to change our life. If you've spoken those words to somebody else that hurt you deeply, and you said the words, I forgive, then the truth is, you know that those words set free two prisoners. When you say, I forgive, you free the person that you held shackled, but you also freed yourself. How many of you know unforgiveness is a prison door that locks from the inside? And when we forgive somebody, we unlock ourselves from the bondage of the hurt and the pain that they put us through. God sets us free through our words. And the reason He can do it is because we understand that our words reveal our ways. And that's what we talked about the first week. The reality that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we choose to say those difficult words of, I forgive or I'm sorry, it communicates a healing of the heart. There's something that God is doing on a deeper level in your life. The truth is you can live your whole life under the unbearable weight of unspoken words. I won't ask you to testify. But if you were honest, some of you would say, I've lived my whole life under the unbearable weight of unspoken words. You never heard dad say, I'm proud of you. You never heard someone say, I love you. You never heard someone say, that, that you can do it, that you're good enough, that you can make it. You never heard someone encourage you with the right words. The right words at the right time are invaluable. You can't put a price tag on them. They're worth so much. Solomon described the words like this. In Proverbs chapter 25 verse 11, he said this. He said, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold... In settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now I got to be honest. I've never been in a store and saw apples of gold in a setting of silver and thought, boy, I would love to have that. But I do think what he meant was it's really good. It's to have the right word. It fits. It's just it's a beautiful thing. It's a precious thing. It's a, a valuable thing. Because words can bring healing or words can bring destruction. Words can move mountains and calm stormy waters. Words can do a lot of powerful things. The Bible tells us, and we won't turn here for time's sake. I will get you to the text in a moment. The Bible tells us in James chapter 3 about our words. Pastor Chris shared some of these verses a couple of weeks ago. But I want to read a portion of scripture out of James to you. I want to read it out of the message translation. Which is a, not really a translation of scripture. It's a, um, it, it's, it's more of a, 
you can read it and enjoy it and it'll speak to you, but it's not word for word. It's, it's just more of a, a thought. Here's the thought of James chapter 3, verse 7 through 10 from Eugene Peterson. Here's what it says. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God, our Father, and with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women that He made in His image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. James paints a powerful picture for us in the third chapter of, of our words and, and what they can do. In fact, he, give us, he gives us three pairs of pictures, three sets of images that communicate the power of the words. The first picture that he gives us is of a bridle that you would put on a horse. And then he gives us a picture of a rudder that guides a ship. Both of those things, a bridle and a, and a rudder, communicate to us that words have the power to direct direct that words can direct just with your words you can move a a conversation you can move a nation you can move an army with words they direct and then he gives us another pair of pictures he gives us a picture of a fire and how one small flame can ignite a whole uh, forest and he gives us a picture of a, a venomous poisonous animal And in those images, he's telling us that words have the power to destroy. They can destroy just a small word, just like a spark, just like the venom from one bite. Words can destroy. And then the third pair that he gives us is a picture of a fruitful tree and a picture of a fountain. A fruitful tree and a fountain. And both of those pictures communicate to us the power of delight. That words can direct. That words can also destroy. But words can also bring delight. How many of you know that God wants our words to bring delight? He wants us to speak good and not evil. Romans 16, 19 says, Be innocent in what is evil and be excellent in what is Good. There's power in your words. And for all the good that our words can do. There's one thing that is required for all of that good to happen. And that's this. The words have to be spoken. You got to say it. It's not enough to, to think it. If a word is going to be powerful, it has to be released. That's how I feel about some of your amens this morning. I know they're in there. They just ain't helping me any because you haven't released it yet. A word is only powerful if it's released, if it's spoken. The Bible doesn't say that Genesis thought and it was. It says he said and it was. He spoke. Let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be. And he spoke it into existence. Our words are powerful, but only powerful when they're spoken. Let me show you another verse in Proverbs. I love these little nuggets of wisdom that we get out of Proverbs. It says this in Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke. 
than hidden love. Think about that. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Why? Why is open rebuke better than hidden love? Because open rebuke, even though it might be painful, it can be, it can be helpful. It can be corrective. It might be criticism, but you might be better for it. I mean, it, it, at least in a moment of honesty, we can hear the truth and we can adjust course. But hidden love has the opposite effect of love. Hidden love is ineffective. It's, it's worse than ineffective. The truth is, if love is concealed, if love is hidden and not revealed, not only is it ineffective in communicating love, what it communicates in its absence is an absence of love. If, if, if you've never expressed love to someone, maybe you remember this, you, you made this mistake in high school, you know, with that girl that you, that you had eyes for. And you just didn't have the nerve to tell her how you felt. Guess what? She didn't know. Maybe you can go back even farther to junior high. To where it's really awkward. And you do the very opposite of expressing your feelings. You pick on them. That's the way middle schoolers express love, right? Like, how did you not know he likes you? It's like, he's tormenting me. I hate him. Oh, he just does that because he likes you. If love is not communicated, then the opposite is communicated. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Let me say it like this. When affirmation goes unexpressed long enough, it begins to be viewed as rejection. If affirmation is not expressed for long enough, I'll just talk about myself for a minute. I don't need you to stroke my ego every time I preach. Now, I know I'm giving you a hard time about not saying amen. But honestly, I know it's because you're listening intently. I know it's because you're writing down what I'm saying. Now, I'm kidding with you today. But the truth is, I, I don't need you to stroke my ego every time I preach. I don't need you to tell me all the time, boy, you did such a great job. But how many of you know... If nobody ever affirmed my gifting, I would start to doubt my call. How many of you understand? If, if nobody, if nobody ever said, boy, that word was from God, I needed to hear that. I might start to wonder if I ever heard from God. If nobody ever said, wow, the, the word really encouraged me today. I might start to doubt. Why? Not because God didn't call me. Not because I didn't prepare. Not because I don't know who I am or because I'm confident in who I am. It's the lack of affirmation. It's the silence that's so deafening. And if if affirmation is, is not given long enough, then what's communicated is rejection. You know, some of you experienced something this week that you rarely ever experience. You made a meal like you do all the time. But this week, when you made it, people actually complimented you for it. It probably felt so weird. You're like, they said, thank you. Oh, this is so good. And you're thinking, really? I made this last month. And nobody ever says thank you. Sometimes you pick the grocery list, not based on what people like, but what's going to get the least amount of complaints, right? 
Right? Am I in anybody's kitchen yet? It's your reality. And what's communicated? It's not that they don't like it. It's that they just have taken for granted the fact that you're going to make it every night. Dinner's going to be on the table. And their lack of affirmation communicates a lack of appreciation. Am I talking plain enough today? And that's where we are. Your words are powerful, but only if you speak them. And so, we have to communicate our emotions. You remember the old movie? I don't know if you saw this movie or not. Nothing spiritual about this, but I thought about this this week. The movie, What About Bob? Now, honestly, I probably shouldn't even say the title because it's been so long since I saw it. I might feel guilty if I watch it now and go, I can't believe I, I mentioned that movie in church. So take your halo off and just listen. Anyway, Bob is this guy with all kinds of disorders and problems and his doctor's on vacation. And, uh, and he shows up. He couldn't get him to answer and call back. So he shows up where his doctor's on vacation. And the doctor's wife is kind enough to let him stay for dinner. So they're eating the dinner and, and Bob is just like over the top. Like he's eating a salad. He's going, oh, it's the best salad I've ever... These tomatoes are delicious. It's just raw vegetables, you know. She hasn't done anything. Just threw it in the bowl. And it's over the top. And it's so over the top that it feels insincere. You know, it's just, it's extravagant and it's ridiculous. And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just lavishing people so over the top that all of a sudden their praise feels insincere. But that's usually not our problem, is it? We don't usually overwhelm people with gratitude and affirmation and love. What usually happens more often than not is we go the other direction. And we take people for granted. And we take their service for granted. And then what happens is when nobody ever gives a compliment, nobody ever says thank you, nobody ever says I appreciate you, that, that act of love, that act of service becomes a chore. It's a burden to, maybe in your house, to, to do the laundry or to, to cook the meal. It's a burden to, to help somebody with a project. It's not that you minded helping them. It's that they never say thank you. You used to want to do it. Now you... Now you loathe the day that they ask for your help. You feel unappreciated. Let me say this. When gratitude is only an attitude, it never finds its voice, then it can be perceived as ingratitude. So we always say gratitude is an attitude. Have the attitude of gratitude. And we should. You know, be a a positive person. Look on the bright side. Those are all good things. But if that gratitude is only an attitude, after a while it's going to be perceived as ingratitude. Because your words are powerful. Talking about being thankful. This week I'll be officiating two funerals. Tomorrow and later in the week. And I'm not speaking about those individuals, but just as an observation, you've probably noticed this if you've been to funerals. A lot of times people wait until someone's gone before they express how they really felt about them. And that's sad, isn't it? We've all been there before. We've all thought, I wish I had told them. I wish I had said this. I wish I had thought this deeply about what they meant to me. Truth is, I took it for granted. And now that they're gone, I'm thinking deeper. I'm processing. And I think... There's a lot of people that would be shocked if they could be a fly on the wall at their own funeral service. They'd be shocked to realize what they meant to us. Why? Because we didn't express it. 
while they were still alive and here to hear it. I've shared this illustration before, but it bears witness today. I want to give this to you. Thankfulness, it seems to be human nature to forget to say thank you. Samuel Leibowitz was a brilliant criminal lawyer and he saved 78 people from the electric chair. Not one of them thanked him. Art King had a radio program called Job Center of the Air. He supposedly found jobs for 2,500 people of whom only 10 called back to thank him. There was an official at the post office in charge of the dead letter box in Washington, D.C. He reported one year that he had received hundreds of thousands of letters addressed to Santa Claus, asking him to bring all kinds of things. But after Christmas, only one letter came to the box thanking Santa for bringing the things they'd asked for. It's human nature for us to just take people for granted. It's human nature. We've all been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of not expressing gratitude towards others. If there's any practical application for this message today, it would be right here in this moment to just stop and evaluate who have I not expressed gratitude for? Who in my life, if, 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 if they were to, to die today, I mean, if I didn't have the opportunity after this moment today, who would I need to call? Who would I need to, to write a letter to? Who would I need to express gratitude for today? And maybe you don't have to look any farther than the people that are in the car going home with you after church today. But the truth is we've all been guilty of not expressing gratitude. What about when we do it to God? What about when we fall into this same pattern of overlooking the goodness of others, but we do it towards God? I want to tell you, there's power in your words. But they're only powerful when they're spoken. The Bible tells us a story in Luke chapter 17. Look with me in Luke chapter 17. New Testament Jesus is towards the end of his ministry. and He's on his way to the cross. He knows it. He's already told his disciples. He's on his way to the cross. But in Luke 17, as was often the case, Jesus is interrupted. He has a place to be. He's got somewhere he's going. But then something happens on the journey. Look at it with me. Luke 17, verse 12. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy was, at that time, an incurable disease. They didn't have a cure for it. Uh, They thought it was highly contagious. And so when people were diagnosed with leprosy, they just were basically ostracized from the community. They were shunned for the safety of everyone else. So these ten lepers met Jesus, and it says, for practical reasons, they stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. 
And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now, we don't have time to to dive deep into this text, but let me just explain on the surface level what's happening and why. Because in this culture, if somebody felt like maybe they were cured, all of a sudden the, the conditions, the symptoms started to change, what they had to do before they could just go back home, before they could go back to worship in the temple, before they could... uh move back into uh, the normalcy of daily cultural life, they had uh, to be approved. They had to be checked and, and certified by the priest that you are not leprous anymore, you are healthy, you can go back. And so when they said, Master, have pity on us, Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. He was challenging them to take a step of faith. They, they were still sick. Nothing had changed. But Jesus was challenging them to go ahead and believe because I'm speaking to you that you're healed. Go show yourself to the priest. So they they leave. They go to do it. And as they're going, the miracle starts to happen. As they're going, the miracle starts to happen. And when they start realizing they've been healed, one of them stops. One of them, and the Bible says, we just read, a Samaritan turns around and he goes back. He goes back to Jesus to to thank him. I'm healed. Whatever you just did when you just said, go to the priest, it worked. You healed me. He goes back and he thanks Jesus. But look at verse 17. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now Jesus knows The power that was released through his words. He knows all ten were healed. He's being a little facetious when he says, where are the nine? Weren't all ten healed? Where are the nine? Has no one, verse 18 says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, now here's the thing. If we did know where the other nine were, and we asked them, are you thankful that Jesus healed you? What do you think they'd say? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? It's the best day of my life. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. Really? Because we didn't know that. We, We didn't know that. Why? Because you didn't say it. You, you just, you just received the, the miracle working power of Jesus. You just received the goodness of God. You just took all the blessing that God had. He didn't, he didn't pick you out. He didn't single you out. He didn't say all the good kids come to the front of the line. No. It says he saw them, all ten of them. He saw them. Didn't care if one was a Samaritan, if one was a Jew. Didn't care what their age was, their race was, their nationality, their sexuality. He just looked at them. He saw them. And he was good to all of them. And the truth is, if you asked them, they would all tell you, I'm thankful, I'm grateful. But only one came back and expressed it to Jesus. Only one had more than an attitude of gratitude. 
He worshipped. He worshipped God. I want to tell you, when you fail to lift your voice in praise to God, in thanksgiving to God for what He's done for you, you miss out on a whole host of blessings. You miss out on so much more that God wants to give you. As Jesus looked at that Samaritan man in verse 19, He said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What an encouraging word. For a person who felt like they had no hope. For a person who who literally was numb from leprosy. He had no feeling. For a person that felt like he had lost his purpose in life. He's commissioned by Jesus. Rise up. You can go. You have faith. You're whole. And it's not just because of me or who I am. It's because of what's inside of you. You demonstrated faith when you opened up your mouth and said, Master, have faith pity on me. And Jesus spoke life to that man. I'm going to tell you today, you you might be grateful, you might be thankful, but when you keep your mouth closed, you forfeit the opportunity for a tremendous amount of blessing from God. Let me just tell you one of those blessings. It's the fulfillment of purpose. When you open your mouth and begin to give God thanks, you discover the purpose and plan of God. For your life. I don't know about you, but to me, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be doing it, when I'm supposed to be doing it. Have you ever been there where you you were in the sweet spot of life and you just knew like this is this is my this is my lane. This is what I'm called to do. Everything is just working for me. It's like God hardwired me for this moment. There's nothing more satisfying than being in that place. And and consequentially, that's why so many people are stressed out with the question, what is God's will for my life? Because they know that what that sweet spot feels like and they know they're not there. And they just want, I don't know, I don't know what's God's plan for my life. I don't know what his will for me is. And they struggle and they wrestle with that question. But did you know the Bible actually gives us the answer? The Bible tells us what the plan of God is for our life. So we don't have to be stressed out anymore. It's in First Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to read it to you. Out of verse 18. First Thessalonians 5, 18. Tells us clearly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this... Is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? Some people go, I don't know, I don't know God's will. I don't know God's will. Well, quit worrying and start worshiping. Open your mouth. Begin to give God thanks. But I, I don't know where He's taking me. Yeah, but look where He took you. Look where He's brought you from. Yeah, but I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work out. But you know Him. It's not always about the what, it's about the why. It's about who He is. And when you come to the place where you say, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to give God thanks, all of a sudden you step into your divine purpose. The plan that God has for your life. So many people that are trying to serve God, but they're not doing it with very much joy. They're not happy because they don't know God's plan for their life. But God has a purpose For you, you were created for His 
pleasure. You were created to worship Him. I know you didn't come to hear this, but He doesn't need you. It's the truth. You need Him. He doesn't need you. You need Him. You don't have a plan for God, do you? He has a plan for you. I don't have a plan for God. But Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, some of us, we would, we would rewrite that if we're honest. That we would say, For I know the plans that I have for the Lord, declares the Christian. But it doesn't work that way. And discovering the will of God begins with going back to our created purpose. You were created to give Him glory. Well, I think He's glorious. No, give Him glory. You were created to give Him praise. I, I know most of you know that. You're like, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been in church a few times. But you know, Peter says that you ought to be reminded. In fact, I, I was looking at this verse this week. Just thinking about all the foundational things of our relationship with God that I'm thankful for. Things that we need to double back to sometimes and just count it all joy. Here's what Peter said in 2 Peter 1. He said, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent. Of this body. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm not assuming that you don't know this stuff. I'm not talking down to you. But I think it is right. To remind you. As long as I live in this tent called the body. That you were created to give God praise. You were created to worship Him. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you something before we close. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9 says, but you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is a powerful verse. This tells us the who, the what and the why of the church. He said, you are, that's who. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Did you know you're a royal priesthood? What what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the priesthood were the people that brought sacrifices to the Lord. That's what the priest did. That was the job. The Bible says in Hebrews 8, verse 3, look at this verse. It says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one, speaking of Jesus, also to have something to offer. Of course, we know Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all for sins. But this verse communicates that every priest had to bring gifts and sacrifices. And then the verse we just read tells us that you and I are a royal priesthood. So what do we offer? As royal priests, what do we offer? Hebrews 13, 15 tells us, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God 
a sacrifice of praise. What's a sacrifice of praise? Well, he explains it right here. The fruit of lips that profess his name. The fruit of lips. What is that? Words. Words. As priests before God, we bring a sacrifice of our words that profess his name. That, that phrase, profess his name. Maybe your translation says confess his name. The Greek word is homologio. It means to make a confession. It means to say the same thing. In other words, when you confess something, you're saying the same thing about it that God says about it. So when we confess our sins, what that means is we're calling them what God calls them. They're sins. Maybe you called them something else before. Maybe you made excuses for them. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was a hang-up. Maybe it was uh, something in, in, you know, in your chemistry. But you came to a point where you recognize it is what it is. It's sin and it offends the heart of God. And I confess it. In this moment, I say the same thing about it that God says about it. And when we worship God, when we profess the name of Jesus, what we're doing is we're, we're saying the same thing about who Jesus is that the Bible says Jesus is. So we're saying the same thing that God says. When we start singing a song like, I am a friend of God, He calls me friend. We're saying that because Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Hallelujah, I'm a friend of God. I'm going to confess the same thing that He said. When the Bible says that that I can be healed and I'm sick in my body and I show up at church on Sunday morning and I begin to sing that He is the Lord, my healer, what am I doing? I'm offering the sacrifice of praise. And it's a sacrifice because I don't feel healed. But I'm saying the same thing that God said. It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the confession of His name. When I declare that Jesus is exalted over every power and principality, over everything that I'm facing, over every struggle that I'm up against, over every spiritual battle that I'm up against, even though I feel defeated, even though I feel weak, what am I doing? I'm offering a sacrifice from the fruit of my lips of praise. I'm saying the same thing that God says about who Jesus is. Can I tell you, it's not enough to just say, I praise you, Lord. Because we, we, we have our own vocabulary in the church. We have words that we say so much. Let's be honest, we don't even know what they mean sometimes. We can sing 17 times on repeat. I praise you, I praise you, I praise you. And you don't even know what it means. What does that mean to praise the Lord? If I'm going to praise the Lord, it means I'm going to offer up the fruit of my lips. And that confession is going to align with what God says about Jesus. We were singing it earlier. I will exalt you, Lord. I will exalt you, Lord. We were lifting high the name of Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says... That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God. He's exalted. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the word will never pass away. Jesus is the living word of God. So why do, why do we sing a song like that? Why do we say it? Because we're aligning our lives with the word. Our confession is lining up with who God says Jesus is. And when we come into that place. And we begin to speak 
that way. We open up our lives to a greater dimension of blessing than we would ever have if we stayed silent. Because here's what we know from God's word. You don't have to praise God. He's going to be praised anyway. The psalmist said, if I keep my peace, the rocks will cry out and praise him. God's not short on worshipers. The earth itself will praise him. He's surrounded right now with 10,000 angels singing of his holiness, of his glory. He doesn't need you. You need him. He created you for his glory. He created you to bring him praise. And when we do that, all of the sudden, we align our lives with a measure of blessing that we could not have known. Oh, I wish I had time to just talk about this a little bit more. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 61 that he gives us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He gives us a garment of praise. I want to challenge you to wear it. Wear it. Don't just keep it in the closet. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Pray. Yeah, that's what we do from 1030 or from nine o'clock to about, you know, 945. Before Pastor Chris prays. No. It's a garment that he gives you. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. When you begin to open up your mouth. And I'm not talking about on Sunday morning while the band's playing. I mean, come on. If you can't open your mouth and sing now. I don't have any advice for you. I mean, it's easy. The words are huge. You know, just. I mean, follow along. But if you'll learn to praise God without a worship leader. If you'll learn to thank God without a feeling, just do it anyway because you say, this is what this is my purpose. I'm not going to sit and stress over what the will of God is for my life. Here's what I know. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for me in Christ Jesus. Don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what God's purpose is for my life. I'm going to give him thanks. If you'll begin to give God praise, all of a sudden the weariness leaves, the heaviness leaves, the garment comes on. The the worship you didn't think you had, the Bible says it's the fruit of our lips. It, It begins to mature, it begins to develop. It wasn't there, it was like a seed in the ground. But as you step out in faith, it begins to mature, it begins to develop. You offer up the fruit of your lips, the sacrifice of praise. And here's what the Bible tells us. Here's another blessing. Last one I'll give you. Psalm 100, verse 4. We enter His gates with thanksgiving. We come into His courts with praise. With praise. If you'll not hold your tongue... If you'll open your mouth and give God praise, no matter where you are, He will usher you into His very presence. The message translation of that verse says, enter with the password, thank you. Gratitude. But not just an attitude of gratitude, an expression of gratitude. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. As we prepare to end this service, we're going to do it in the most practical way. I'm going to ask our media team to just put some worship on and bring the volume up to a level that you can be comfortable lifting your voice. And we're going to take about 60 seconds and we're just going to give God thanks. No lyrics to this song, not that I know of anyway. 
but I don't want you to follow anybody else's cue. God is good. You may not have a clue about your future, but you can know you are in the perfect will of God at 1033 on this Sunday morning. Because this is what I was created for. Would you lift your voice with me? Come on, all over this room. God, we give you praise. Right now, Lord, we thank you. We enter into your very presence with our thanksgiving. God, we choose in this moment not to think about all of the the stressful things. We choose in this moment not to be concerned with all the unanswered questions. To not be overwhelmed with the whys or the hows or the where's it coming from. God, we lift our eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. Lord Jesus, you are our sword and our shield. You're our deliverer. You're our hope. You're our ever-present help in time of trouble. You are my healer. You are my source. You are my strength. You are my life and you are my song. God, you are greater in me than he that is in this world. Nothing that comes against me will prosper. Everything that rises up against the name of Jesus will fall. Jesus, you are the authority of my life. I praise you because you are faithful. You are true. God, I thank you today that you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You lead me. You love me. You guide me. Thank you, God. You are my hope. You're my source. You're my counselor. You're my guard in the nighttime. You're my deliverer. Come on, has he been anything for you? Tell him. Tell him. God, I open my mouth today. I give you praise. I give you worship. God, I want to live in that sweet spot. Lord, would you clothe us today? Clothe us with a garment of praise. Mm, Hallelujah. I worship you, O God. I worship you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. The good news for us today and every day is that He's as close as the mention of His name. We don't need a band. We don't need 20 minutes of songs. We need a word. Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Jesus. Boom, you're in. You're in. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how high you're feeling your blood pressure rise, your stress level rise, just close your eyes. Jesus, you're in. If you don't know Jesus today, you don't have to pray a complicated prayer. One word. Jesus. 
That's all it took for the Samaritan and those other nine men. Have pity on me. And he will. He will. If you don't know him, I want to encourage you. Don't leave this place today without calling on the name of Jesus. Call on him. And then I want to invite you to, at the end of this service, come and meet me in this altar. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. Lead you into a relationship with God. Come on, one more time. All all over this room, as we close this service, can we just lift up our hands to Jesus? Come on, as a sign of surrender. Did you ever notice it's even easier to catch your breath when your hands are above your head? Come on. It's easier to pray. It's easier to say words. It's easier to lift your voice. God designed you for worship. Let's give Him thanks. Father, we thank You today. Lord, this is more than a season of thanksgiving. Lord, it's a lifestyle for us. Lord, we tap into our created purpose. We put on today a garment of praise. We take off a spirit of heaviness. Thank You, Lord God, that You have created the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. We give it back to You as an offering. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, all through this week, God, we love you. And it's more than a feeling, God. We're going to open up our mouths and give you praise. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, if there's anyone that you put on our heart today that we need to, we need to express gratitude to, a spouse, a loved one, co-worker, an employee, somebody that we've taken for granted, God, by your Holy Spirit, as we leave this house, direct us, order our steps. Give us the courage to follow through, to let our gratitude be more than an attitude, but to speak life in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Come on, let's give him praise. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Have a wonderful afternoon, I hope.